know, Neftali, how did success, that great low vote success, how did it change or affect the band? Well, we went from, before Composite Truth came out, we went from $25 a week to $350 a week. Hmm. And it's exponential. It <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the records, none of them, except the song Mandrill was, was uh, put on a compilation album for um, uh, uh, Radio Free Europe or something. And so, so it was a, a gold record. But within the time frame of RIAA, nothing went gold or platinum of mandrels, you know. So we weren't, our money was coming from touring, not, not records. But of course, that success helped you do bigger venues and make more money through touring, right? So the success from Composite Truth, the, we went from, now, we would get bonuses, but we'd always try to have salaries that no matter what, you could count on this check, you know? And when we did well, we got bonuses, you know? And because at, at, at that time, uh, if, you, if you didn't conduct yourself like a business, you would blow your money. Like, you know, so many people tell these stories, you know? Sad and, stories, and, yeah. Yeah, they're sad stories, you know. So we knew that that because we were multi-genre, that record that Polydor didn't know what to do with us, but they did catch on. They did start catching on towards. They gave us a double album, and Mandrel. Uh, see that poster up there? You, that was in the album, and most people don't know that. It was in the album, in, in the original album, and it was, it was well folded four times, so it was as big as an album times four. You know, um, this is from a Kinko copy, you know. Um, but uh, they gave us a poster. They gave us a double album, anything to keep us on the label. We went to a studio in the country. Oh, oh but we haven't talked about... Uh, about um, just outside of town. Yeah, let's get because, let's let's get to that before we get to Mandrel Lamb. But so just outside of town was the next record, um, and of course it had your big composition on it, uh, Two Sisters of Mystery," which was famously sampled by Public Enemy and by the time we get to Arizona. Um, but it also had uh, "Mango Meat," uh, "Fat City Strut," and some other great tunes. So tell me what really stood out about about making that record. Well, we were on the road. Uh, Composite Truth was peaking. We were touring our tour. You know, we were headlining and we, we were pulled off, you know, working with, with the rock bands and headlining the, the funk festivals. So that was, that was a big, big deal for us. You know, uh, headlining these tours, it was almost unheard of for Mandrill to be headlining stadium tours with, with war you know, and, and, you know, and, and like Bloodstone had a number one hit at one point, you know, um, but, but certainly war and, and war would headline and then Manja would headline and it would be, um, you know, a, a kind of a competition thing. But when, when we were on the road, the, the record company says, you have to go back in, you have to record a new album. 
And so we talked about it. And while we were talking about it, Omar Mesa uh, gave, a, uh, gave his notice that he would be leaving the band. And so the picture that you see just outside of town is taken in Century City, young Century City. And, um, and it, was, it was kind of sad uh, departure uh, on my part because Omar um, didn't want to play on, on the album. He just wanted to play on his song. So we had to get really creative. And who stepped up to the plate? I had, I never wrote a song before. I never wrote a song before. And Two Sisters of Mystery, I mean, I, I, I was influenced like Buddy Miles, like I said. And I knew I wanted to come heavy, really heavy, and, 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 and just bring it with some, some horns, you know. But I, I didn't have time to finish the horn line. Uh, so the Wilson brothers stepped up to the plate and they put some horn lines on it. But I actually have horn lines that I wrote for the songs that, that I did with the Santiago band. But uh, uh, Billy Bacco played the lead guitar on Two Sisters of Mystery. Billy Bacco, who was a friend of Fudgy's. Mm. And he played on She Ain't Looking Too Tough, too. He played, uh, that was Fudgy's song. Mm. You know, it's more of a country kind of thing. You know, uh, Mango meat. Where does mango meat come from? It comes from the heart of the Wilson brothers. You know, the song blends so many different feels into one, you know, and it, it becomes this, its own funk, but it has so many elements in it that are, you know, are, are, are Latin, you know, and, and <laughs> just straight up like R&B kind of, you know, soul. You know, and, and it, so the drum beat, wow, what an interesting thing, you know, because all mandrill music is like pieces of a puzzle where at, at these jams, we're all really trying to lock into what, we, what each other's hearing coming out of each other's instrument and trying to, trying to make our place, you know, get that groove going, you know. So that jam might go on all night before we might not even find it that night. We might have to come back to it. When it starts flowing, then you know, oh, that's going to be the groove of the song. That was, it was, it was introduced by, by Carlos and Lou because Lou uh, and Carlos basically wrote that song. It's a Wilson brother arranged a song, and it's it's just man, it's a favorite. It's a favorite, you know, and it's a hard song to play. I've heard a lot of people play it. I've heard a lot of forms of mandrel bands without me in it. And you can write it out all you want, you know, on paper. And it, it's feel. Mm -hmm. It's feel. And it's just a certain feel that if you don't get right in the pocket, you're going to miss that song. And that's basically a lot of mandrel songs are just feel songs, you know. That, that album had so much variety, like so many Mandrill albums, but, um, you know, Never um, never Die never was, die. you know, real light, airy kind of pop song, and well, Love Song was like you. a Stax uh, soul kind of song, and, yep. That was a big song. Never Die, I have to tell you, I, I wrote that song, Never Die. It was about my girlfriend, Marcelina. Um, who, who lived at 602 Frankis Court, uh, which I say that in a song, you know, and uh, I don't know why I said that because that's weird to say your address in a song. Um, 
But remember I told you that everybody got a song on the album and then there was a band song? Well, just outside of town, we had to rush it. We had to rush it. And everybody wasn't ready for that. You know, so that became the band song. And so my name was taken off of it, but I wrote the song, you know, and it was about my girlfriend and uh, it was poppy. And I tell you, no songs were played in California except that song. Yeah. Was, that's, that's a California <laughs> feel. Yeah. I know. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but um, love song. Oh man. What a beautiful song that is. That Carlos again and Lou writing that those two are, are like Lennon and McCarthy. You know, McCartney and 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 uh, that song was so beautiful. And um, Africus Retrospectus, the instrumental. See, now the creativity of the Wilson brothers are really, really put to the test because there's no Omar. There's no lead guitar. You know, so Carlos really, you know, he he's the one who's playing guitar on Mango Meat. You know, it's all rhythm. You know, he's playing on 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 a um, Africus retrospectus. He's even playing on Two Sisters of Mystery, the rhythm part. You know, so he he plays a big role in that. You know, and and so the Wilson brothers went into their orchestrated mode, which which they can go into really easy. So can Coffee, and now because of them, so can I. You know, um, and that's what they did on Africus retrospectus, which is a beautiful song. You know. And Ron Carter was always a part of the string section on all the Mandrill albums that had strings in them. He always came in and did his bass parts. Uh, Moroccan Night on um, on a, a, a Composite Truth. Until the end, Fudgy just comes in on the, you know, and then he comes in with that. Oh, man. That's a beautiful song, too. Yeah. There's so many, so many. Mandrill's unique. Um, you know, I'm excited because... There's no other band like Mandrill. It's multi-genre explosion of, of, of music creativity that this planet has never seen before. Yeah, or likely will again. But Yeah, well, you just might because, well, we'll talk about my new we'll, band. But, we'll you know, I'm, I'm really wanting people to hear what that really feels like, you know, in its truest form. So Fat City Stripe, was that inspired by the meters or what was the story there? That's a coffee song. That's a coffee song. And no, I don't think so. Well, why do you say that? Oh, it's got that, you know, Louisiana kind of groove feel. And, you know, yeah, fat, I, guess, yeah. I guess it does. I guess it does. No, no, I don't think he was thinking about the meters at all when he wrote that, you know, because it, it's, it breaks off into a whole Latin thing. It does. Then, yeah. And then comes back, you know. Um, I think it was more of a, like a big band. Uh, feel that he was going for on that, you know, then, then a swingy New Orleans kind of thing. I think it was more of a, a Duke Ellington kind of swing. You know, I think he was, he was headed in that direction. You know, that, that big band kind of, you know, yeah. So Naftali, when you were uh, touring at that time and you're uh, starting to play with Axe co-headline with Warren, all that you talked about, what was the typical audience uh, makeup like and did you have certain areas of the country you seem to have a bigger following than others and what about outside the u.s well wow, that's a great question nobody's ever asked me that before 
Now, are you talking about the, the, the funk tour in general or, or mandrel? Mandrel. Okay, well, mandrel did have territory that started becoming very evident that these cities like us more than other cities. You know, and in the beginning, it was New York because this is our home. I say this because I, you know, because I'm a New Yorker. Um, but New York is our hometown, so uh, it was the number one. Anytime Mandrel would play at Madison Square Garden, we would sell out. And then we played at Lincoln Center. You know, with with a hundred piece orchestra and a two hundred voice choir. You know, playing Peace and Love. You know, with Duke Ellington. You know, and the Queen of England was in the audience to hear it. You know, these things. These are things that. Just, not just any band can do stuff like this, you know. I mean, there's some bands that can do, uh, uh, like, do a couple genres of music, but to to jump in and out and, you know, to be on tour at that time was incredible. It was just, it was incredible. Everything was new for the first time, fresh and new. Uh, good things and bad things happen, you know. So, uh, so you have the big East Coast following. Did you go Big international at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, still. Um, you're talking New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Then you got to go into where you are because we played there, too, and we played there a, a few times. Uh, we played Greensboro, too. You know, um, you know, we did Mississippi. We went all the way down to New Orleans, you know, went to Florida, Florida, big in Florida. You know, um, I guess that's East Coast, but the South treated Mandrill really well. You know, and I think colleges had a lot to do with that. Atlanta, love Mandrill, love Mandrill. You know, because uh, you know there's all these big black colleges. You know, that they were playing Mandrill to death. You know, so um, the rest of the world, it seemed every place but California really did not embrace Mandrill. You know, then, you know, uh, Mandrill's time, like you said, was was those Polydor years in 75. Everything changed for the band. And, you know, the, the popularity of the band started shifting because well, it was a different band. Well, let's talk about that final um, Polydor album, album? Mandrill Land, that yeah. you mentioned before, the double album. Yeah. And, you know, to me, a funny thing about that album is I think a case could be made that overall it might be the most have the most straight ahead kind of funk on it compared to the prior four you may differ i don't know but um i, I kind of got that feel from it or get that feel from it but i mean it was so loaded with with great music so you know what 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 was involved with the making of that and what was going on with the band then and, and why did they why did it become their final one for polydor wow more great questions <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sad ones too because it is an ending, uh, not just from Polydor, but but the rhythm section all left at the same time after Mandrillan. So here's the story with Mandrillan. Mandrillan, we're we're definitely uh, mango meat, uh, uh, love song, were big hits from the album, just outside of town, and uh, we never performed. Uh, love song live except once and it was a disaster because we vso carlos's voice on to do the ooh, 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 
that part. So he couldn't really reach that high. So we never really even bothered trying to do that song live. We never did Two Sisters of Mystery live except once in New York. And that was it. Just once. And uh, so uh, now we come to trying to hold on to the feeling that the band had from Composite Truth. Because really, we made it through that, that, that middle album w without Omar. And we, we did really well, you know, because it, like I said, the Wilson brothers stepped up to the plate. I stepped up to the plate and, and it's a good album. There's nothing to be ashamed of, of on that album at all. It's a great album. Coffee, the cl Mantle classics are on there. You know, you know, the difference with Mandrillan is Dougie Rodriguez. Dougie Rodriguez, man. He was with the, um, the Voices of East Harlem. He was with Santana. He recorded with, with Santana on two albums, on Caravanserai and on the Welcome album. Mm -hmm. And Carlos picked him up when he was with Voices of East Harlem in Africa, when they did that Soul to Soul uh, movie. Remember that movie? Mm. It was Wilson Pickett and James Brown and, you know, the stable singers. They all went to Africa for the first time and did a concert. Well, Dougie, if you see that movie, Dougie's the one, this little white guy with blonde hair in the center of the square and the king of this, this town, I guess, or village, you know, comes up and he's listening to him and the whole village surrounds him. Anyway, uh, then, then he plays with Betty Davis. Now, you know how funky those two albums are. Mm -hmm. Those first two albums are funky. Yep. And he's he's the rhythm guitar player on those. And okay. he's, a lead, he's the lead guitar player on them, too. You know, then he co-wrote Chicken Fried Steak with, with Lenny White. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, he's a funky, funky, funky brother. You know, so he comes into the picture and he's got this thing that, you know, called Positive Thing. You know, but it's just a, it's just a riff, you know, then, then see, we're going to studio in the country and the band really decided to get away from New York and get off of the road and go somewhere peaceful and just be free. So you're picking up on the right vibe, my brother, because we definitely opened up on that one. So what happened? It's a double album. Each of us get two songs and two band songs. What can be finer than that? Mm -hmm. We get to go to this Bugaloosa, Louisiana, which is way out there past New Orleans. You got to go on that bridge over through the ocean into this little uh, uh, paper town, which the owner of the studio, his dad owned the paper mill. And I think that's the only reason why black people are in this part of, of Louisiana because it was an all white place to be. You know, but it was so much fun. He provided horses, a cook. We, uh, we, we were on a ranch and a studio was, was we rode to, 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 some of us rode horses to, to the studio. It was, it was, it was welcome, open 24 hours a day to us. I think we were there for almost two months. Did you intend on it being a double album or did it blossom into that? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. They gave it to us and we took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. So that's what a lot of good songs came out of there. Like you said, man, El Funko, that's just a straight up jam, you know. 
Yeah, well, in, uh, skying upward, I mean, I hear some headhunters influence in there. Yeah, well, see, again, that's we we took the jam and just that that was like a forty minute jam, and just <laughs> and just and just cut it up into pieces, and um, well, this is that kind of that's kind of what broke the band up too. Um, but before I tell tell you about that, we have to talk about Mini Sweet for Duke. That is a masterpiece. And that was after being influenced by us doing that concert with Duke Ellington. Hmm. Me and me and Coffee were at a news conference. We were there checking out our uh, our equipment and 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 the Duke was there and the news was there to 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 uh, uh, promote the concert. And so the Duke comes over to me and says, yeah, I want that young kid to play. Go ahead and play drums with me. It's like, hmm, play drums with Duke Ellington. No, no, I'm not going to do that. No, just for this, this, this thing, man. You'd be cool. You know, swing? Like, no, yeah, but 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 no, I mean, I mean, I like swing like rock like Buddy Miles, you know, but Duke Ellington kind of swing? No, I can't do that. And and uh, I, I must have turned yellow. I know I must have turned yellow. And Coffee's no, come on, let's go, let's, let's do it. He's going, man, I'll make it easy on you. I'll make it real easy. Come on, come on. He grabbed me by the hand, and it's like we did this thing. I guess it's on the it's on the CBS News somewhere in some archive, you know, because that's where the Queen of England came to town and came to see the Duke perform, and, and that's where they pull this news clip out of. And it, oh. That was one of the big highlights in my life, that concert. So that covers a, a couple of things, you know. But um, so Mini Sweet for Duke, that's a difficult song to play. That was just a recording, never tried uh, live. I would like to try that with the Philadelphia Orchestra because that is worth trying. That is so, has so many movements in it, it's ridiculous. Uh, Folks on a Hill. <laughs> Man, Dougie does a great solo in there. He does some great funk work in there. The horns are just blazing, you know, when they come in. Man, that song is great. Uh, I love his sunshine. You know, it's more of a, a happy, disco-y kind of thing. But that's the kind of time we were living in, you know, where things were starting to change a little bit. That, that one actually has kind of a, to me, like a Delphonics kind of song Yeah, feel. definitely. Philadelphia, Sound of yeah. Philly. Purposely. Yeah. Purposely. You know, Carlos definitely wanted to cover that. He loved it. All his influences, he wanted to, you know, bring some of that to the table, you know. But just overall, too, I think there's more of a little bit of a jazz fusion kind of feel to some of it um, after the after the race. Yeah, that's that was like Return to Forever kind of stuff, you know. Definitely. Dougie Rodriguez wrote that song, you know, and – and so basically me, Dougie, and and Fudgy rehearsed it. You know, oh my God. That was a song. I never played like that before either. Different from Omar's song, Golden Stone, you know, which is kind of fusion-y. But this one, now I'm playing like like I'm in focus or something, you know? And, and I mean it gets out there. I mean, I'm not counting, I'm feeling, but it was a struggle. But we had time. We had time. The studio was ours. The engineers were ours 24 hours a day. And so, you know, they just hung in there. And then I got this really cool idea. I said, he was doing his solo. And he had a, this, this little yellow phase 90s phaser. And I said, what if we take your amp and, and your, your pig nose amp and put it to a tube? 
and put a microphone on the end of that. Can we see what that sounds like? And we did that. And that's the sound that we used for his solo. And I, I think that's probably the first time I started producing was, was at Studio in the Country, where we all had so much freedom, we were producing our own songs, basically. We are all, Mandrill produced their own music, period. But now we're getting to produce our own songs. So um, well, after like, the race. I'm a fan that, of the that, results, I got to tell you. Yeah, after the race came after Dougie entered a race <clears throat> in Bugalusa Town. There was a race going on, and they were on those little mini motorcycles, but they're fast. You know which ones? Oh, they, yeah. 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 Well, the race was with those, and he, he likes racing so he entered the race and he came in second place so he comes back to the studio all inspired and calls the song after the race so that's that's when i said wait a minute let's take the bike that you rode in the race and why don't you just ride it and i'll put a i'll put microphones to the left and right and you just come in and you just ride around them and we'll, we'll start that we'll start the song off like that that's exactly what we did you know so that was beautiful. That was so beautiful. The rain in House of Wood. You know, I recorded that rain. You know, it was rain there a lot. You know. I, I think even the cover, too, has a uh, <clears throat> Louisiana feel. It kind of does. Yeah. kind of does. Yeah. So, um, actually, I was going to ask you earlier, you know, who was it the Wilson brothers that would come? Was it Rick? Or who would come up with the concepts of what the covers would be and that kind of thing? Oh, no, that that was all of us, all of us, all of us, even the name of each album, even the name of the group, Mandrill, uh, came from the first drummer, Charlie, Charlie Padro. And he was at the Bronx Zoo and he saw Mandrills for the first time. Then I guess he went home and started researching them and found out that they were very human-like, you know, and so they mourn their dead. And so it'd be... That's so when he brought that name in, that's the one that the band chose. So everything was kind of talked about, you know, some concepts. Well, what you talk about a democracy, you you have the Wilson brothers, which are three brothers, and you have Claude Coffee Cave. Then you have the rhythm section, which we basically stuck together on everything, you know, because we looked at things a little different than everybody else. You know, politically, there was movement happening within the band that was different than than we anticipated it to be let's put it that way you know and it led to disappointment you know because the two songs uh on the album became one song and then that whole side of the album that we all jam on uh was was chosen to take that 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 whole side of the album and they broke it up into movements the wilson brothers and coffee broke it up into movements and wrote lyrics to it and made songs out of them you know um so that was a little disappointing to to, to us that wrote songs that we thought we were going to be on the album but weren't you know so when we heard that then we made the split the three of us together yeah. you know and um it was uh it was really bittersweet i so the actual know, split that, uh, happened in 75 or 76 yeah. or what, yeah. what year? So, well it was it, it was 75 but it was getting towards the um the middle the end towards 75 
because the Wilson brothers took tracks from Bugalusa into solid, you know, um, and, and worked on some stuff there. So it was just kind of, it was right around that late 75 period, early 75, you know, um, that the rhythm section left because we were definitely gone when Mandrill left Polydor and signed with UA. And, uh, yeah, so Mandrill land in a sense was sort of like the best of times and the worst of times. Sounds like musically the best of times, musically, definitely the best, the best that Mandrill, the band has ever sounded. We, we, we were so tight. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was scary. It so, was scary. So you never got to really tour on that material? Oh, yeah. Oh, you did? Uh, uh, you mean the Mandrillan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We sure did. Okay. We, we, um, we did a, a Positive Thing. We did a Folks on the Hill. Uh, what else did we do from there? Oh, House of Wood. <laughs> House of Wood. That is that is a favorite of people in Philadelphia. Uh, we, we, we have to do it. Every time you go there, they have to hear House of Wood. They just start weeping. You know, they just start weeping. So some, yeah. Some, a lot of good stuff came off that album. All right. So you went your own way and you did the Santiago band, apparently, that mm -hmm. um, now we finally get to hear. So yeah, yeah. tell me about that mid-70s period for you. And then also just talk a little bit about what happened with Mandrill during that time sort of concurrently. Okay, that's that's a really strange time period for funk. And and I say that because we're getting a sense that music is changing. It really didn't start hitting us till 77, 78, to where it was really evident that there was a change. But during that time, um, a lot of other bands started playing funk music, you know? Um, and I call that the second string, <laughs> which you interview a lot of those people, you know? Um, I'm, I'm part of the first string, you know, which is- Or, or the second like wave. Power, power. Yeah, or second wave. Yeah, there's, there's, there, but, but there's, you could stop. There, you know, there's, there may be 12 people that bands that can actually say they were the originals of, of the whole funk movement, you know? So, um, so, you know, it, it started evolving and I guess the Wilson brothers on their own, uh, wanted to, to, to uh, are we going to stop here? Or? No, go ahead. Oh, oh. So the Wilson brothers on their own, I think, uh, wanted and coffee wanted to, uh, take control over, the music and not open it up as a democracy. So the players on Solid and Beast from the East are, are people that they traveled with and they were on the album covers, but they didn't write any of the music. They didn't have anything to do with that. They didn't have anything to do with the sound of it. Coffee and 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 Carlos played bass on a lot of them. You know, and it's a guy named Brian, I forget his last name, God bless him, passed away played bass on some of it. Tommy Trujillo played guitar and Andre Locke played, played drums, you know, but it was not the same. The rhythm section was missing and, 
and you could hear that, and the fan Mandrill fans could hear that. What? 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 So, what? I mean, how did it? Um, was it coincidental or related that the change in labels at the same time when the rhythm section split? Um, no, that that was that was coincidental. Because yeah. at this time, when you're talking about, they're with uh, United Artists, right? So they had moved to yeah. a label that yeah. had war and brass construction. Yeah. Well, you just said the bad word there. Because <laughs> I felt, you know, because I was asked to stick around and go to UA. And I said, no, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. You know, just, you know, I mean, th that's for a book I'm writing. It's, but, you know, um, the thing of it is, is... You're going to United Artists. That's war country. Why do you want to do that? It, it, to me, it was suicidal. You know, well, a friend of the band's uh, worked, worked at UA and convinced them that they were going to take care of Mandrill. So as soon as Mandrill signed, UA folded. <laughs> you know, it folded. It, it really didn't do anything for Mandrill at all. The albums weren't, they were what they are. I won't say that they weren't that good, because I there's there's a couple songs that I really like on, on a um, on each one of the albums, you know. Uh, but you could tell that they're an incomplete mandrel kind sound, you know. That you you were really hearing, uh, like not the full recipe. You you could feel that in the music. I I I thought. Yeah, you could it, feel it that. was uh, solid and beast from the east was the other, the other one. Yeah. 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 So at that time, I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, licking my wounds from not getting what I wanted from Mandrill, you know, uh, what I deserved. And I was just sticking up for myself and it became an issue, you know. Um, so I had to leave, you know. And, and I didn't feel at the time, honestly, that I was ready to head up my own band. But I was mad enough to do it. <laughs> you know, and I had the money to do it, you know, so I did it. And, uh, and, and I signed with Bamboo Records out of Philadelphia, which was uh, the biggest mistake in my life because uh, uh, they had no money. <laughs> they had nothing. They, they could promise me everything in the world, and they did, and, but they had no money. They had me and Edward Birdsong. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know who he is. That's the only two artists they had. So they put out a single, Feeling Good, and Land of the, Land of the Drums is on the on the B-side. And it only comes out in Philly. And the only reason that it's played in Philly is because he was a pretty big disc jockey at his, in his day at WDAS in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, uh, so uh, he promised the moon, but, you know, didn't follow through. So I put the band together and Omar came out and played with my band. And so we did our first gig with Gil Scott Heron. And, you know, and Brian was in the band at the time. Of course, it was Brian and Gil. That's the way I see it. At that time, it was Brian and Gil, not Gil. You know, uh, the music that that I was inspiring them was coming out of both of them. You know, so, so it, it went really well. Nobody screamed, play Mandrill. They accepted all the new material, which they never heard at all, except that single a few weeks before it came out. 
Where, where you know, were you playing? What city? It was it was Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Thank God it was yeah. Philly. <laughs> they were very gracious, but they weren't so gracious when we played with the Ohio players. And so that was in Buffalo, New York. So in Buffalo, New York, I, I, we come out and we're playing the first song, which is To and From Gamma 4, which I put on the album. And um, and uh, the audience is hollering, Mandrill, Mandrill, Vince Wong, Vince Wong, hang loose. And I was finally getting so fed up with it. I said, look, yes, I am from Mandrill. This is my new band, Santiago. I know you're not familiar with the music, but if you just give us a chance to listen to it, I'm sure you're going to love it. Then he started clapping and everything was fine. You know, the band was smoking. That's why it was smoking. Santiago band was, was, a. Uh, I have a lot to, uh, uh, Joe Byrne was my musical arranger. He's from New Jersey, just across the bridge from Philly. And I don't, I don't know why you don't hear about Joe Byrne because it seems like his only claim to fame was, was the Santiago band, but he did such a great job. He does all the, all the flute solos and the sax solos and those, those horn lines came from my mouth to him putting it on paper to putting them to, 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 to harmonies. He plays clavinet on all the stuff. He's a monster. He's a monster. Well, as long as we're talking about, I was going to talk about it later, but let's get fully into that record now, and then we'll circle back to uh, Mandrill again. But um, I really enjoyed the record. It's uh, oh, named after you. that house that you mentioned earlier, 22 yeah. Somerset so Drive. And I think it came out December of last year. Um, yeah. But it's uh, 11 tracks, um, summer alternate versions. And I guess uh, seven or so, seven or eight are original. And um, the ones that jumped out to me, you know, being the funk fan I am, especially was uh, uh, Land of the Leaping No No, no. Uh, which is <laughs> jazzy, but it's funky. Um, Bionic Funk and uh, Let Out Your Beast. Um, <laughs> and To and From Gamma 4. That's real jazzy, too. So, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you keep that into raps for so long? <laughs> I never thought that music was ready. It was, it's basically demo to me, you know? Um, uh, Let Out Your Beast, I tell you, I was angry. I was really mad at Mandrill, you know? And I, that song is directed straight at them. And, excuse me, if anybody knows Mandrill, they know who I'm talking about. And it inspired in, to write that song. And Weepy No-No was, man, I'm telling you, I'm writing music and it's just pouring out of me now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a band leader and, and I wanted to step up to the plate and I, and I wanted to blend the mandrel sound with the, par with the parliament to come sound. So I took Funkadelic, that single, and played it for him. And uh, it was, it was uh, Feeling Good and Landed the Weepy No-No. And back then, everything was done with, you know, there were no CDs, so everything, you had to, I, I had to take a reel-to-reel a -reel little tape recorder that played quarter-inch tapes, you know, had a speaker in it, you know, so they could hear it, you know. And they loved it, and, and they asked me if I would be interested into joining this new thing that they were getting ready to start. And I said, no, I think I'm going to stay on my path but I went back to Mandrill, you know, 
But in Santiago, Santiago only did a few gigs. It did not work because financially, I was a kind of a perfectionist when it comes to music. And I didn't want to play anywhere until I thought the band was ready. And I'm singing all the songs. And that's not real easy for me to do because I, I like playing syncopated. You know, so I have to I have to practice that. And so the band was patient, but I was also paying the band at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, so when the money ran out, so did the band run out, you know, so I left myself um, coming to California. Mandrill had already been here. I came to California and I met this crazy guy named Lewis Marvin who had this instrument that was called the Mellotron, which was introduced back when Yes came out. And even Mandrill used the Mellotron. But what he did with it was he took the tapes out and put animal sounds in it. And, and so he had like 450 different animal sounds in this machine. And he, and, and I had met Beth Midler at the time and it was right around that. in that period that I was recording these songs, which was right around 78, right before I went back to Mandrill. Um, she said, this guy's having a party and he's bringing this instrument and, and he wants to see, you know, who can play it. And I almost felt like it was a fairy tale. Like if you, if you're if the shoe fit Cinderella, you know, you know, like you you'd win, you know. So I went and I checked it out, and it was all covered up in these black blankets. You couldn't see what it was. He made it look like it was something other than it was. He was really trying to promote vegetarianism, and the beauty of the song of the animals. But he invited the Ramones. He invited Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I was there. Uh, you know, and it's like, they don't know what to do with this. It was, it was a rhythmic thing that needed to be done. So I started recording. Long story short, I got a, a, a deal with Capitol Records for, uh, with this, they'll say, well, we don't know what to do with an animal song, but we'll put it out. You know, it became a cult hit three years later. It came out in 80, 83. Capitals calling me up saying, I think you should put a band together because you, your song's number one in Holland right now. And it's like, what? I mean, how does that, ha how does that even happen? I don't know. Well, I don't know, but. So what was know. more, what was more bizarre that or uh, finding out, or maybe you heard it first, that public enemy made such a big hit with your, you know, song from years before. Well, that was the most bizarre thing I've heard of, but the most shocking thing that has ever happened to me was to not know that that was happening. I didn't know Public Enemy did that. And to hear it, quite honestly, I heard it on MTV. And when I heard it on MTV, they played it like every 15 minutes because they released it right around Martin Luther King's birthday. So it became like a news thing. They very smart about the release of that. Even the Disney Channel was talking about the song, mm. you know, and, and I said after hearing it three times, I said, I don't believe this. That's my song. They didn't even change it. They just put lyrics on top of it, put this little melody in it with these singers, made it sound a little gospel-y, but really it's Two Sisters of Mystery slowed down, you know. So I run out right away <laughs> and I buy a copy of it and I open it. And I see, oh, well, my name's on it. Well, that's got to be a good thing. You know, it seems like, I mean, it's 
just from seeing it on television, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a nice little check, you know? And uh, so then I get a call from Rick Wilson from Mandrel. And he says, well, you know, um, uh, you're going to be a rich man off this song. And I'm going, you think so? He says, it's, it's, it's going to take off. It's going to take off. It started selling like crazy. Uh, it's, it's over there somewhere down there. And, um, and so, yeah, I went platinum, you know, and so Rick says, um, so, you know, Mandrill has the publishing on Two Sisters of Mystery. And you remember, I already left the band, you know, and when I, Public Enemy was 99, I believe. I think so. It was around that time. The year of that record? Yeah. I thought it was, you know when, I, th I think it was older than that. But is it? I think so. Well, whenever it came out, he called me. And he said, you're going to be rich off this. And I said, oh, that's great. So I said, he said, well, Mandrill owns a publishing. I said, well, Mandrill's only really the Wilson Brothers and Coffee. And he says, well, you, you verbally said that you would give Mandrill the publishing. I said, well, I, I verbally didn't do anything. Hmm. So it became... Uh, uh, a copyright issue and where Warner Chapel represents uh, Mandrill music Warner Chapel represents a lot of people on the planet they're a big publishing company you know so um, I'm just a little fish here I, I don't know what to do uh, I get a lawsuit in the mail and it doesn't even have my name on it at all you know and I'm looking at the deposition from the band and they, they're saying they wrote it. And the two sisters, two sisters of mystery. I have two sisters and they're of mystery <laughs> because <laughs> they couldn't have children. They both had toxemia and they kept having problems. Every time they tried, they loved children. Every time they tried, the baby would live a couple days or they would lose it before it was even birthed, you know? So, that's what my first song was about. So it came down to Mandrill suing Public Enemy. So Sony calls me up and says, well, how would you like to team up with us and Public Enemy and represent you as the, as the owner of Two Sisters of Mystery? Because if we can clear up you own Two Sisters of Mystery, then this thing with Public Enemy, we'll just fix, we'll figure that out later. What a mess. Okay. So they, I said, okay. So I didn't really have to do anything. It came down to Rick's deposition, my deposition. I didn't even have to go to court. And the judge said, read mine, and, and he said, and I guess he did the thing, and it's closed case. It was over. You know, there were um, appeals after appeals after appeals. But in the end, um, Warner Chapel gave me back 100% full rights of my song wow and congratulations to you. Of my song yeah and and Justice. public enemy at the time you know chuck lost all his publishing on that song all of it he didn't have none of it i wound up with 75 percent of the song wow and that lasted for a lot of years and then it went down to 50. and then just recently i started thinking about chuck d not owning any publishing from that song. I mean, I think it was 18% that all of them 
split that that co-wrote that song that all of them split was 18 percent and i know because i'm the writer when anybody wants to to sample that song they have to come to me and get get the get the uh the license you know and um so when i found out that he doesn't have control over even who listens to his who licenses music i offered to generously sell back half of my publishing to him and i thought that would be fair you know so that's what happened you know and as a result of that they um gave me this plaque which i know you can't see it but i'll read what it says it says hall of fame inductees 2013 public enemy salutes neftali santiago thanks for your contributions and they know that two sisters of mystery helped get them in that rock and roll hall of fame you know wow justice that's a beautiful thing it's uh that's a beautiful thing man yeah. it's a beautiful thing yeah well i'm glad that story has a happy ending